listening to the Business of Baking podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. It's Michelle. As usual, every week I say, I wonder who else it would be because nobody else runs this show other than me. And somehow that joke never gets old, which is a bit sad, really. But there we go. Today's going to be an interesting day on the podcast. I'm talking to a colleague named Jennifer, and I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a moment. But this podcast comes off the back of it being Mental Health Awareness Month. If you didn't know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. I think it's primarily a United States thing, not globally, but I actually wish it was globally because mental health is something more of us need to be talking about and more of us need to be talking about in the small business arena. Last year, I spoke to Laurel Harlan on the podcast. If you haven't heard that interview, I suggest you go back and listen to it. She is a licensed therapist and also a cookie business owner. And that conversation was really eye-opening for me. In fact, I did not want to end the conversation by the end of it. And so I was especially excited when Jennifer Carotta got in touch with me and said, hey, Michelle, I listened to the podcast and I'm also a mental health professional. So I was particularly excited because that last conversation was so amazing. Like, no pressure here, Jennifer. But okay. <laughs> I think it's very rare to find somebody who kind of wears two hats. So let me introduce you to my guest today. Jennifer Carada is from Bell Vernon, Pennsylvania in the United States. She's a licensed professional counselor and she owns a business called The Counseling House, which is a group practice not far from Pittsburgh. So if any of you guys are in that area, you should check it out. And as they say, the Counseling House is dedicated to providing mental health counseling services to individuals and families in a comfortable, nurturing, and home-like environment, which I kind of like those words. It makes me feel like I'm being wrapped up in a big cuddle. And <laughs> in her practice, she's got professional counselors, social workers, marriage and family therapists, a whole bunch of people that can help a whole lot of us out. But the other yes. cool thing about the amazing mm-hmm. Jennifer is that she also owns a cheesecake company called the Cheesecake Fairy. <laughs> By the way, I I feel like if I had a cheesecake fairy in my life, she would like make my (laughs) mental health problems better. But anyway, (laughs) cheesecake therapy, right? This is a thing. Although we're not supposed (laughs) to be emotionally eating, Jen. Okay, right? That's true. We'll go over that later. Yes. Yeah. So the Cheesecake Fairy is largely a wholesale company and they make elegant upscale cheesecakes in a jar, which I love the idea of. And you can either get them from her directly or she's actually stocked them in three local cafes. So because she is a mental health professional and she's a cheesecake fairy, this makes her totally my people. So welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. I am honored to be here. Thank you so much. It's very exciting to me. I love talking to you. Uh, I'm sure this conversation is going to go forever. We could talk about this topic because it's so relevant to our industry. Oh my goodness. Yes. And I think that, you know, something that you are probably aware of is that the business of baking shifted a lot in the last 18 months now. Mm-hmm. I used to really talk about all the practical things, you know, how to do your pricing right. and how to do your marketing. And I still talk about those things, but these days I'm mm-hmm. a lot more open and honest about the hard stuff about small business. Sure. Sure. I think it's important. Well, and it does. It takes a toll on your mental health. I mean, business is you have to wear various hats. And if you don't take care of yourself, mind, body, spirit, it trickles into your business. Oh, 100%. I actually Mm -hmm. used to have a small business mentor or coach who used to tell me you cannot, in a small business, you can't separate the person from the business no matter how hard you try. No, No, you can't. So wherever you go. When you got in touch, you said that baking is your therapy that accidentally (laughs) turned into a high-end cheesecake business. And you had a really good sentence in your initial email to me where you said, it's my self-care that keeps me sane and centered, which I find find that entertaining only because, (laughs) well, two reasons. One, I think many, many, many people get into cooking, baking, or handcrafts of various kinds for the therapy. Mm But then they turn it into a business and it becomes very much no longer therapeutic. And instead it becomes a source of stress. So before we go into that topic too deeply, tell me a little bit how a licensed professional counselor (laughs) then became the Cheesecake Fairy. (laughs) 
Well, I came from a line of bakers, so I was born with the baking gene in me. I mean, my grandmother and I, we worked in her kitchen. She made these delicious chicken pot pies. I can remember being 10 years old and getting $2 a week for helping her roll the dough. And I just felt so connected and just so you know, grateful to be in that atmosphere you know, with my grandmother and family and food. And as life kind of went on and you had to go to college and you had all these, you should do these things. I did go to graduate school, got my master's, got my license and did all the things that I should do. But I always had this nagging in my belly that there was something that I still needed to be doing. So it kind of came from, I guess, the history of being from a family that loved food, that revolved around food. And yes, I am Italian, so I'm sitting here talking with my hands right now. But I've always been a people person as well. So I kind of put the baking part on the back burner because, let's face it, my mom was a wonderful cook. My grandmother was a wonderful baker. And they didn't need me you know, to be in the kitchen crowding them out of their space anyway. So that's how it pretty much started. And it really resurrected probably about 15 years ago. And this is the truth. I worked in various nonprofits and I'd done a lot of different individual counseling. I'd done grant writing. And then when I decided to take on the counseling house, it really took on a new life because not only was I in business for myself or I was working for somebody else, I grew a team around the concept of the counseling house, which is really to take care of others. But that in itself is very stressful because not only was I taking care of my clients, I was also, you know, taking on the responsibility of the livelihoods of, you know, four or five team members that were, you know, banking on the counseling house as being their bread and butter. So it got really stressful really fast. And I returned to that outlet that I once loved and that I had forgotten about. And I got in the kitchen and I started playing around with cheesecakes again. I love this. How do you have time to do both? Well, let me tell you, I'd say in the counseling practice, it's a Swiss cheese day, meaning I will have big gaps in my day sometimes depending on people's availability, but it tends to be the mornings, which I'm not a morning person, but I get excited to get up in the morning and bake. So it really kind of fell together that because as a therapist, I sit a lot for a living, which, you know, they tell you sitting will kill you. I needed to find a way to get up and get moving and not just be at my computer doing billing or sitting in, you know, in session with clients or sitting in meetings with people. So once I kind of got back into that groove of waking up, getting up the beaters and getting, you know, going to the store and grabbing the ingredients, it really created a new routine for me that became healthier. So if cheesecake and baking cheesecake can be healthy, then it really has created a new kind of normal for me. Can we start like a new diet, like baking cheesecake (laughs) for you? I feel like as long as you're not eating as you go, that's probably true. Well, my husband is my taste tester. And what's great about the cheesecakes that I do, because they're in jars, they're the perfect portion size. So it's easy not to overindulge in them. So I think we've got the winning combination. So um, yeah. (laughs) My father, you know, God rest his soul. My father used, when I told him that I wanted to become a chef and I wanted Mm -hmm. to particularly work in pastries and sweets, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Most people listening to this podcast would be aware of it because I've did a whole episode on it, but I was grossly overweight my whole life. And my father was convinced that my going into cooking and baking was going to kill me. Oh my. So he used to say, your job will kill you. Now, obviously it didn't, uh, but yeah. I could never quite get him to understand that because you work in that industry does not necessarily follow that you are right. eating this stuff all day. In fact, no. you get kind of sick of it. Right. That's true. And if I never see another sweet cheesecake in my life, I love to make them, but I can pass them up any day. Now, the savory cheesecakes, on the other hand, that, that's another story. All right. That's another story. I, a, remember, yeah. <laughs> I remember going to visit the Cadbury factory in Dunedin, New Zealand, because there's a weird fun fact for you. There's a Cadbury factory there. Okay. And the, I remember we went on the tour and they were telling us that like all the employees can eat as much chocolate like off the line as they want. Oh. What normally happens is people just <laughs> kind of binge for like a week oh. and then they never want to see it again. Like never want right. to see it again. Uh, no, no. So I feel like it's probably kind of the same with all of us who are in the sweet industry. Like we right. like it, but we're kind of like, oh yeah, another cheesecake. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, okay. So given that you are running a business 
that involves other people. And then you are running mm-hmm. a business that's wholesaling. And so you have people who you need to supply on, I imagine, a fairly regular yes. basis. And yes. I'm guessing you have a family of some kind and friends. Yes. And like, I'm guessing you have a life outside of these two sure. things. So, and that's a priority is having that life. Right. Well, that's my question is that is a lot of competing priorities, right? Sure. And then there's the whole mm-hmm. you know, mind, body, sanity, balance or whatever. So sure. how do you keep your sanity amidst <laughs> the chaos of that? Because I hear you on the Swiss cheese day, right? Yeah. But that right. also means that at any given hour on any given day, you're doing something else. Yes. And I think my personality is well suited. I like diversity. I like change. So my routine would be probably horrific for somebody else. But for me, it works because I am very flexible. But I do get that question a lot. How do you do it all? You know, how do you manage to do, you know, juggle all of these things? And I say it's all about choices. I mean, there are a lot of things that I choose not to do. So it's really about being focused and saying, okay, what kind of life do I want? And what result do I want from this business so that I can maintain that life? I try to be very realistic about things and say, you know what? I want to do this, both businesses, as long as I feel connected and that it's fun and that it's fulfilling. And, you know, I choose every single day. I try not to look too far out that whatever choices align with my intention for that day, that's kind of what I go with one day at a time. Chaos will expand. You know, what we focus on will expand. So I try to keep things reasonable one day at a time. Okay. You just said two things there that I want to repeat because I think they're really important. The first is that every day I choose what I don't want to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, I think, you know, just getting centered every day. And this is part of my routine in the morning. A lot of folks will do this at night, but you know, competing priorities, competing needs from others. I sit down in the morning, every morning with my coffee and I decide, okay, what absolutely needs to get done today? And I choose maybe four or five things and then I scratch two off the list and I focus on the first three that are really a priority. So anything else that comes at me, and I know if you don't know what your intention is for that day, you will tend to, I know myself, I will tend to say yes because that's my default. So if I know what my goal is for the day, then I'm more able to screen what's coming at me, you know, whether it's from my clients, whether it's from my team, you know, whether it's from, you know, Facebook and social media, I get to screen out and, you know, really focus on what the priorities are. And then I can make decisions to knock those three things off my list and then be able to have a nice relaxing evening and unwind and not look at a cheesecake and not look at (laughs) at my email, right? Yeah, I love that. Along those same lines, one of the lessons Mm -hmm. I've had to really learn, especially this year for me, because it's been a challenging personal year this year, is that Mm -hmm. I do not have to pick up the things that everyone else puts down. Right. And so that's along those same lines of I choose what I don't want to do, right? I, you know, Mm -hmm. I choose what I want to do, but I choose what I don't want to do. And I figured out this, it only took me 43 years, but I figured (laughs) out that one of the parts of my personality, which is really challenging is that I'm not a people pleaser by any means, but I'm a connector and a helper. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when yeah. somebody says like, oh, I'm really struggling with this, or oh, I just can't get that done or whatever, my immediate response is to go, oh, I can help you with that. Oh, I can do that right. with that. Or I can, you know, or somebody will say like, oh, yeah. you know, random. I'm looking for a job and immediately in my head, I'm like flipping my mental yeah. Rolodex of who do I know I, got- that I can help that person out. I think we're cosmic sisters because I'm wired the same way. And I think there's a lot to be said about our autopilot. I think we need to probably like delve into that because I think because we are so, you know, we are so busy and we are just so, you know, bombarded by so much stimulation that our brain goes on survival mode and it just continues to do what it normally does. And that, yeah, we we just tend to kind of get bogged down and then we say yes when we really need to say no, just because we can't slow down enough to be, you know, assertive in our communications and say, you know what, let me think about that and get back to you. I really can't make a decision on that right now. So again, that's our anxious brain kind of taking over, you know, being hijacked and then us committing to something that maybe that we didn't want to do. Make sense? Yeah. And I've really had to learn that even if my head is flipping that mental Rolodex, I don't have to say that out loud. Like I don't have to, you know what I mean? Like I can flip through the Rolodex and then hang up from that call or that text conversation or whatever it is and then be like, yep, 
okay, I actually don't need to help that person right now. If I've got time mm-hmm. later in the week, sure. But like right now right. I don't have to. Whereas before I'd flip through the mental Rolodex and the very first thing I'd say is like, oh my God, I totally know somebody who can help you. And then as soon as you have said it out loud, that's an obligation. Mm-hmm. And I True. have a real thing about if I've said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do yeah. it. So I've right. had to really learn to really say in my head, Michelle, do not pick up what they have just put down. Like you, mm-hmm. it's not your job to trail after Hansel and Gretel picking their crumbs up in the forest. Right. That's right. Right. So, and mm-hmm. the other thing that you said about earlier that I wanted to talk about a little bit more is really beautiful expression, which I feel like I need to tattoo on my forehead, which you mm-hmm. said, chaos will expand. Yes. I love that Absolutely. idea. It's so true. It is true. What you seek, you will find. So if you're in that anxious state or you're in that chaos or you're in the midst of overwhelm, you're seeing life through that lens. So naturally you're going to attract more of that and you're going to respond to that. And what does it do? It snowballs and it just keeps getting bigger. And then you find yourself on the couch with a gallon of wine. <laughs> and that's yeah. It's that whole thoughts become things concept, yeah. isn't it yeah. as well? That you know, and those of us who are a little bit more woo-woo and believe the whole manifestation part of it and mm-hmm. law of attraction and whatever, it all kind mm-hmm. of is in that same space of mm-hmm. where you focus your time, your energy, your money is what you're going to get more of. Absolutely. So if you're running around telling people I'm a hot mess, well, you know mm-hmm. what? You're going to be a hot mess. Right. And you're going to attract those people that want to be with a hot mess that's worse off than they are. So it just yeah. Well, of- yeah, you really will. Like attracts like. It's uh-huh. so absolutely true. I um, recently had a conversation with a friend of mine. I actually mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but I think it's worth re-mentioning. Mm-hmm. And I was having a moment, you know, we all have a moment, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I was crying and carrying on. It was not my proudest hour, but at the same time, I kind of was proud because I was brave enough to share that with someone else. Mm-hmm. So I had this like little mental breakthrough. I don't like to call it a breakdown because I actually think that you learn a lot through the process of emotional shitting. Sure. So I had this emotional breakthrough and I was crying. I'm like, oh, my life is terrible and everything's falling apart around down my ears. And And I said, like, I'm such a hot mess. And he actually stopped me. Unusual for a man, by the way. He Uh stopped me and he said, no, Michelle, you're not a hot mess. Just this situation is a hot Mm. mess. Mm-hmm. And it really made yeah. me go, you know what? It's not that I'm a failure or that I'm a terrible mother or that I'm this or I'm that. It's not I am. It's this is. Yeah. Separating yourself from it. Yes. Yeah. And he really pulled me up on that, which I thought uh-huh. was so impressive. And I kind of like, I literally stopped crying and I went, oh my God, he's totally mm-hmm. right. I'm not a hot mess. Just this mm-hmm. situation, which is deservedly actually a difficult thing to be living through. It was Absolutely. Quite an amazing moment for me, I think. And I've been actually rolling that conversation around in my head quite Mm -hmm. a lot since then Mm -hmm. because I've been thinking about how often we do have something happen or somebody says something to us or a customer isn't happy or whatever. Right. And rather than see that as an isolated incident, it's like, you know, a permeating cloud that just kind of like suddenly encompasses our whole lives when really it's mm-hmm. not our whole lives. It's this five minutes no. or this week, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so given that people have a lot of competing priorities, you say that you think the way to do this is to kind of sit down and set your intention for the day yeah. and decide yes. what's important and what's not. How do Absolutely. you know, like what are the warning signs of, wait a minute, things here are mm-hmm. getting a little bit mm-hmm. out of control. And I'll give you like interrupting my own questions (laughs) to give you an example from my own life. Mm -hmm. So I've been really public about the fact that I also see a therapist as needed. I don't go regularly anymore. I just go kind Mm -hmm. of when I feel like I need a bit of a, what I call a checkup from the neck up. Tune up. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Tune up from the neck up sort of thing. And it was really interesting. Like I saw her a couple of months back and I said to her like, I'm just so tired and I'm like Mm -hmm. sleeping all the time. And I feel like I'm never going to not be tired. And she looked me in the eye and she said, all that sleeping you're doing, Michelle, is that depression sleep or is that mm-hmm. tired sleep? And I was like, what? No, I'm just really tired. And she's like, are you, are you sure about that? And I kind of went away and I thought about it and I went, oh my God, no, that's actually not tired sleep. That's depression mm-hmm. sleep. And it was a very distinct moment where I went, oh God, whoa, wait a minute. You know what? I'm getting eight hours of sleep a night. 
I shouldn't be tired sleep. That me not wanting to get out of bed, that's a depressive sleep. That's not a, oh, I'm cozying. Yeah, but it's until she called it out. I mean, I went in there going, like, I'm just so tired. I've got so much going on, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, yeah, I don't think that's tired. So don't we do that, though? Don't we do that? We try and we we push off. We don't pay attention to how we feel because, again, it's those competing priorities, right? I've got to do this. I have to do this. No, we don't. And not to say that what we're doing isn't important. We do have obligations. But when we go to the point of overwhelm that our bodies just start telling us, we have to be able to tune in and start paying attention early because the best, you know, intervention is prevention. So, yeah, well, so now because she called it out, right? Like now mm-hmm. I find myself in the morning going, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. And then the next question I ask myself is, do I not want to get out of bed because I'm genuinely yeah. tired or do I not right. want to get out of bed because there's something else going on here? But mm-hmm. I will tell you that that has probably, I don't know for sure, but probably gone on for years and just nobody's ever called it out. So what mm-hmm. would you say? Like, what are the warning signs that your mental health is perhaps not in a good place? Well, dovetail what you're talking about. I would just say if you start seeing yourself having health issues, right? You know, you're not feeling right. You're just feeling off. Pay attention to those types of things because again, you know, you're being on your feet, you're working, you know, it does take a toll on your body. So I think that's a huge warning sign. If you're just not feeling like your normal self, and I use the word normal loosely, (laughs) but you know what it feels like to be what your baseline is. So to be really conscious you know, of your energy levels, to pay attention to your appetite, to pay attention to your sleep. That's a big one because if you aren't getting good quality sleep, that's going to affect absolutely everything in your life from, the, from that point forward. So, you know, paying attention to the things that maybe on, when we're on autopilot, we take for granted. Some of the other things that I know is always a good sign is if I procrastinate more than normal. Oh, that's a good one. I yeah. mean, everybody procrastinates, but if I find myself mm-hmm. like really getting to the end of a week and going, what the heck did I actually do this week? Right. Like, or you feel that you're losing your passion for things or you're just feeling apathetic. Like, wait a minute, pay attention to that. So, okay. So let me ask you about that. Feeling apathetic and losing your passion for things. Mm-hmm. How do you know if, and maybe you don't until you explore it, but how do you know if that's just like a temporary loss of mojo Or if that's Mm -hmm. like, you know what? I just really don't want to do this anymore, like Mm. forever. Like how do you, because I feel one of the kind of interesting hallmarks about our industry is people get this loss of mojo situation and they Mm -hmm. throw the baby out with the bathwater. Too soon. Well, I think they just kind of go like, you know what? I don't feel like doing this anymore. So see you later. Bye. And I've written a lot of articles about how you know when it's, and I've done at least two podcasts about how you know when it's time. And I've listened to those too. They are fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So, because I think that's an important discussion, but Mm -hmm. how do you know, no, this is just an episode of time versus Mm -hmm. no, no, no. This actually is my soul telling me it's time to move on Mm -hmm. from this. Well, I think a good way to kind of check in, because if you're at that point, it sounds like you need a break. And I think it's okay just to kind of turn it off for a couple of days and maybe change your scenery and just kind of put it down, not necessarily throw it away, but miss it a little bit and just see what happens. You know, I think too, we get so consumed anything. I think it's human nature. The more that we do the same thing over and over and over and over again, you can get fatigued from it. You can get bored from it. So I think sometimes, you know, stepping away, you know, changing scenery, changing your routine a little bit that can maybe give you an idea of, oh, is this just a temporary thing just because I'm in a rut? Or you know, is there maybe something else that maybe I'd like to explore you know, that can you know, build on what I'm already doing? And Jennifer, what would you say to somebody who heard that advice and goes, well, I can't. If I walk away from this, mm-hmm. it all falls apart. I can't. I'm just mm-hmm. off this treadmill. I can never get off it. Right. Right. And I would say, so why can't you get off of that? And just kind of explore that a little bit deeper. And, you know, and if so, you know, how do you you know, make some choices in the interim that can make what you're doing a little more manageable while you kind of figure it out, right? You don't want to throw a baby out with the bathwater. You know, if you have family obligations or you have, you know, financial issues, absolutely. You know, what? because either way, I think 
to look at it from a short-term perspective versus long-term. Is this quick decision going to just help me in the short-term because I'm just feeling frustrated? Or is this decision going to help me in my long-term goal? Which I think sometimes people forget about that. You know, what goal am I working towards? And you know, if it is to be more healthy and happy, then maybe I need to start planning on switching gears into doing something differently. So there's that gray part that a lot of times people forget about before when they're making such, you know, decisions like this. Yeah, they definitely have that like all or nothing thing. And I think we could take kind of like mental vacations too, even if it's for 10 minutes to really just kind of check in or maybe go onto a website that is totally different from what we're doing. Maybe it's interior design or maybe it's flower arranging, something totally different that kind of, that is still artistic and creative, but get off of Pinterest, stop looking at cake decorating, right? And just kind of switch it up a little bit. I think there are little things that you can do, not necessarily like jump in the car and go to Niagara Falls for the week. It's just a matter (laughs) of, right? Although I'm doing that, I'm looking forward to it very soon. (laughs) But even, you know, visiting a town right down the street that maybe you haven't visited, you know, for a year walk into nature, just doing something that doesn't cost any money that's totally out of your routine. And I think, you know, we, part of our own self-care, it absolutely rests on us, you know, getting out of our head and really into a mindful space. And I think that's where creativity resides is within that mindful space. Oh, can I tell you the number of times in my life, literally walking to the mailbox and back has (laughs) saved my sanity. And that's like, we're talking like 30 feet. It's not very far, Yeah, uh but it's absolutely saved me. I mean, this is true, by the way, that kind of walking around the block or whatever, when I don't want to go is the best time to go. But Mm -hmm. that saved my sanity in multiple other arenas. You know, when I had little babies all screaming, you know, no shame in saying that I would put them all in their room. I would shut the door so that they were safe and I would just go out in the garden and like stand there for five minutes. You know, nothing yeah, was going to happen yeah. to them, but right. something might if I stayed in that room. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. spent many mental health moments in the garden just going, okay, just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. Right, right. <laughs> well, because, you know, I think it's very easy to snap and you've just got to have enough mental strength to catch yourself right before you snap, which mm-hmm. is not always possible, but if it is, right. we should try. And honestly, the best solution I've ever found is just open the door and walk out of it. Right. Even if you well, are standing on your front step, it's a little yeah. bit further than just right in that cloud of you know stress. Right. Well, and that's a really great indicator that something is not right. If you're lashing out, right? Or if you're not feeling that you can control your emotions, or here's a good one, or if the people around you are saying, hey, are you okay? You know, people sometimes will, you know, they'll call you out and they're paying more attention to you than you are. So, Mm -hmm. you know, pay attention to those things. How are the quality of your relationships? You know, are you, you know, lashing out or are you withdrawing? You know, all of these things that make you, you know, feel like you're not yourself, you need to, you know, pay attention to. Yeah, I just want to add something to that, which is that I think it's very important that we reach out to other people. Oh, for sure. And I think we don't do that enough. And I think that I actually endeavor to do this a lot. I've got pretty talky friends, which is no surprise given who I am. But if somebody, if I haven't heard from somebody in a while, I'll just drop them a text and say like, hey, you're a bit quiet. Is everything okay? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really, really, really helpful to be able to, you know, and also, you know, that is a boomerang. That behavior Mm -hmm. comes back to you, you know, a month now when you're having a rough time or whatever. Sure. You know, then somebody else is checking on you and making sure that you're okay. So it's, you know, it kind of works. But I let this podcast serve as a reminder to you that you need to check on other people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And relationships are built. So it's a give and take. It's that two way that when, you know, life gets chaotic, it's really easy to lose those connections that are so, so important. I mean, we are, we're codependent beings. I mean, codependent in a good way. We can't survive without one another. So to really make it an effort, you know, in your daily routine, just to say, reach out when you need help or to reach out to give support, right? You know, we need to keep that flow going. Yep. So, okay, if the signs that your mental health are not great is things like more than you normally do or less than you Mm -hmm. do, you sleep more, you sleep less, kind of sleep, you know, food, procrastination, lashing out at people, all that kind of stuff. Let's say you have identified these things and you're like, Mm -hmm. yep, you know what? I'm acting in a bit not like myself or I'm physically not feeling like myself. 
what do you suggest is like step one? Like if you've identified, yep, you know what? I'm just not feeling myself. Then what? Yeah. Well, obviously me coming from a therapy point of view, if you don't have a strong support system that you can reach out to and just talk to and just, you know, really, really, you know, find your tribe that's going to be there for you that can help troubleshoot. Because again, asking for help, whether that's in the form of just saying, Hey, can you spend it? Can we spend the time? Can we go have coffee? Can we just talk? I just really need a friend right now. Or if it's to the point where your health is truly suffering, there's no shame in reaching out to a therapist or a helping professional, or maybe someone in your church, wherever it is that you can get the help that you need. There's no shame in that. It's actually imperative. Oh my God, there's definitely no shame in that. And I think there's, no. you know, you have to find the reaching out that works for you. So if you yep. don't yes. feel you can go to your religious organization or you mm -hmm. don't feel that you can go to a therapist, even just right. going to your bestie or your mom. Yeah, absolutely. Someone and saying, hey, yeah. I could use a friend. Yeah. You know, I could use somebody to listen. Can we go out for a brownie or something? Sorry, can we go out for mm -hmm. a cheesecake? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, you know, getting help is really very small. It doesn't have to be sure. some big grand gesture where you check yourself into, you know, a spa or something for a month. It doesn't need to be that. No. You really can just reach out. And self-care, taking care of yourself every day in the smallest of ways and making yourself a priority. I know it, it, we say it all the time, you know, and especially moms make, you know, you put yourself last, but really getting into the habit of saying, okay, what are some things that I can do? The smallest of things, you know, if you're extremely busy, but you can't pour from an empty cup. So whether it's just sitting down and meditating for five minutes, or if it's just sitting and maybe perhaps doing a guided meditation that you found on YouTube, something that really gets you to have that quiet time and that centered time or even fun time that you deserve because at the end of the day we're all humans and we need to play we need to feel purposeful so you know looking at mind body spirit where are the gaps and what can i do today to kind of fill up my reserves a little bit mm, that's it what can i do to fill up my reserves however big or however small that thing Absolutely. is so along those lines though there are some people who are going to do that with alcohol mm. food Yes, yeah, numbing out. I call that numbing out. Yeah. So how do we recognize when that has happened and what do we do to stop it? And by the way, it doesn't have to be just food or drink. It could be, right. you know, Instagram scrolling or whatever. Yes. So how do we know when something that we thought was helping us is no longer helping us? Because I can see how you could go, now I'm not a drinker, but I can mm -hmm. see how you could go from like, oh, this one glass of wine, 10 minutes by myself where I'm not thinking about anybody else is my unwinding. Mm -hmm. And I can right. see how then that could possibly not go a good direction. Right. And what's the difference between moderation and then and engaging into things that are, you know, not so healthy for us? Yeah. So how do you know? How do you recognize that like this glass of wine is doing me good versus this bottle of wine isn't? Well, if you're questioning yourself, then that's a problem. So if it even crosses your mind and whether it's drinking or whether it's food or whether it's gambling or whether it's shopping, all of these things, I call them numbing out behaviors, you know, scrolling social media, what it is, it's a detachment from self. So what we're detaching from is a feeling that we're avoiding nine times out of 10. It's something that we don't want to sit with. So we're trying either to cover up, avoid, or even maybe create a different kind of feeling. Does that make sense, Michelle? Yeah, well, it's painful to yeah. think about this real thing. So I'm going to go mm -hmm. and do some other thing that I can mm -hmm. feel good about. You know, if I'm winning three levels in Candy Crush, that makes me feel yeah. kind of good. Nice dopamine right. hit, right? Mm -hmm. Therefore, I don't have to think about the fact that I feel like my business is failing or I feel right. like I'm a terrible friend or whatever it is Absolutely. at the moment, right? And see what happens. Those feelings are still there. And that, you know, covering up the worry, the doubt, what, all of that negativity, it just doesn't go away because we're numbing it out. What it does is it builds and it snowballs. And mm -hmm. then it resurrects its ugly head as anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, you know, that can really, really take on a different life. So back to the whole mindfulness thing, being aware of what you're doing. So do you really want that second glass of wine or do you really want that second jar of cheesecake, right? It's really I mean, yes, paying attention. Cheesecake. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so, but it really being able to say, hmm, why am I doing this? Am I really hungry? Or maybe I'm just thirsty. Or maybe I'm just really tired and I really need to get some sleep. But I have so much going on in my head. I know if I get into bed, I'm not going to shut my head off. So it's really getting to know yourself and being present and making different choices. And yeah. Then, yeah. It, you get to choose. Let me ask you a kind of broader question. Potentially, I'm wading into controversial water here, but I've never been afraid of that. So here we go. Okay. Do you think that societally we have become, I don't know how to put this well, like we've become a society of kind of overindulging in emotion? Let me try to explain that. Okay. So I was recently reading something online where somebody posted an article about something. I don't even know what it was. That's how much I don't care. But it was some article about something and she wrote, she shared the article and she wrote, I'm really triggered by this. And I was like, seriously? Like that expression, I'm really triggered by this. Like, doesn't that just mean like, oh, this made me feel something. And why is that something that we need to talk about or announce or discuss? Or like, like you know, if I read an article about genocide in Uganda, you know, I'm going to feel sad about that. And that's going to make me feel like humanity is kind of terrible, right? But I don't then feel the need to post that article online and say, I feel really triggered by this. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like on some level, while I am a big, 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 obviously, because we're having this conversation, proponent of discussing mental health and whatever, I do wonder if sometimes we as a society have become sort of self-indulgent on this thing. Mm. And we use that like, oh, I feel really triggered by this as some sort of excuse for, I don't know, not just going and doing stuff. Like we're so busy feeling the feels and talking about the feels and whatever that we're not just like kind of shutting up and getting on with it. So I have this internal conflict <laughs> because okay. I always think we should be talking about this stuff. But I have, I sort of wonder how much of it is a real problem versus a manufactured problem created by society. And just to really try to irritate people listening to this, I kind of feel the same way about gluten-free food. Mm -hmm. There are people who are genuinely celiac and suffer yeah, from that true. disease in a real way. And there are people who are gluten-free because it's freaking trendy. Mm -hmm. Right? And so I wonder if mental health and issues around mental health have sort of become that. There is a proportion of the population which is genuinely suffering and they're the mm -hmm, people for true. whom we need to keep having these conversations. True. But then there's and a proportion I, of society that I'm like, seriously, you're triggered by that article? Get on with your bad self, you know? <laughs> I actually had a discussion with one of my clients just recently and we were talking about how mental health is portrayed on social media channels and they are the ones that are most likely not to participate in it. And I found that really interesting. I had a really good discussion, you know, with her. And I think what happens, well, obviously, anybody can be active and be present on social media. So you have that instant audience and that instant, whether it's validation, whether it's a negative or a positive thing, people are, have that feeling of being heard and they want to be seen. So I think that is an issue as well that kind of plays into all of that. You know, the people that are out there that just want to feel validated and, you know, and too. And then there are the people that are sitting behind the screens, just reading this stuff and aren't participating in it that may be really struggling with some, you know, mental health issues that would mm -hmm. never even dream to jump into that thread. Well, yeah, because you have to imagine that the people who are truly suffering probably don't necessarily have the energy to be mm -hmm. sharing with the whole world what's going on for them. True. Right. You know, we've got to check on the quiet ones, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I find it like personally, I find it such a push and pull. Like when I see somebody on social media posting those ubiquitous photos of them with a tear running down their cheek saying, guys, mm -hmm. it's all just really hard for me right now. I always have this struggle. Like I want to applaud them. And on the other hand, I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. Go look after yourself. Go and take that walk in nature. Speak to that therapist, whatever you need yeah. to do. And the truth is maybe that's super judgmental of me. Maybe they are doing both of those things. Maybe they are seeing a therapist and maybe they are getting the right medication or whatever. But I just, yeah. I don't know. I really struggle between this whole like... How much is too much? I wonder for that kind of person what the value in sharing is. Are they sharing mm -hmm. because they genuinely want to remove the stigma around having a bad right. time or having a rough time? Or are they mm -hmm. sharing because as you said, they just want validation? Yeah. In which case... Is that, is needing validation so much that you'll put that in a public arena also a mental health issue or 
it's a very interesting, I don't know, I always struggle with this, like, too much information or am I glad that they're putting it out there? And the truth is I probably feel both. Well, and isn't it truly all about boundaries, you know, setting boundaries and having personal boundaries around the, for me, and that's what I see. And not to say there, to eliminate the stigma when it comes to talking about mental health, I'm all about that. But I cringe because I think, oh my gosh, what some of these folks are, could be exposing themselves to. Yeah, it's too much. So again, there's that fine balance because it's not like this is just going out to a group of their closest friends. These are going out to thousands and thousands of people because their profiles are often, you know, public. So there's just so many layers to that. Yeah, I wonder that too. Like, aren't they kind of opening themselves up to people who, I mean, I'm sure that the supporters are overwhelmingly bigger than the detractors, but I always think like, oh man, and I have been a victim of internet bullying on more than one occasion. And I can tell you that it's very unpleasant and it makes mm-hmm. you feel very terrible about yourself, no matter how mm-hmm. positive and upbeat you are. And there can be yeah. a thousand positive comments and all it takes is right. one to absolutely send you down into the depths of despair, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always worry for those people. Like, I'm so proud of you for putting it out there, but by putting it out there, what are you mm-hmm. potentially exposing yourself that's not going to be all that helpful, right. you know? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Putting it in the right place. I think that's key. And for everybody, and I know I did not grow up in social media. So I think the rules and the boundaries are so different from generation to generation. I, for example, my mom's on social media. She's only on there so she can see pictures of the, of our pets and from, you know, for the family, she doesn't comment. She doesn't share anything. And I think there's such freedom in that. Right. So you get to look at social media for her. It's like looking at the newspaper. So again, you know, what meaning does someone attach to social media? I had a fascinating discussion with somebody recently about how much you should or should not or whatever put on social media because she asked me why I don't have my relationship status on social media. And I said, well, because I don't really think that's all that important. (laughs) (laughs) Like, who the hell cares, basically, right? Uh And she was like, but don't you think, like, love should be celebrated and whatever? And I'm like, well, yes, but I don't necessarily think that social media is the way I celebrate love, really. (laughs) Yeah, that's not your intent. That's not why you're on social media. Yeah, and it was just really interesting that she was saying, like, by not putting it on there, she felt almost like you're kind of dishonoring it in a way by not sharing it out there. And I was kind of like, well... I mean, like, I get it that love is great or whatever, but I don't really feel, yeah, I don't really get my validation from that. It was an interesting discussion. You know, two, it's the same issue, right? Do you put your status there on or not? And I was kind of like, yeah, no big deal. Who cares? And she really saw her and her partner not putting it on there as almost not acknowledging it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. when did social media become the place where things become true or real? Mm-hmm. And that's very true. Everybody has different values surrounding social media. A lot of people mm. use it for in many different ways, and they're looking to get something from it that perhaps you and I are not. So being realistic about, I think, what it is and what it's not is crucial. Yeah. So tell me this, our industry, and by our industry, I really mean I guess people in small business, creative people in small business, not just the bakers and the decorators, but all, you know, a large portion of people in creative industries really seem to have a higher, now I've never done any study on this, but they seem to have a much higher proportion of mental health issues. In particular, anxiety is a really big one and probably coming in second place, if not equal, would be depression. Mm-hmm. And I have a theory about why that is, but I'm curious okay. as to what your theory might be. And my theory is that by nature, people who do things with their hands or creative people or, you know, makers, let's call them makers, okay. tend to do those things or are attracted to those things because of the therapeutic nature of them. Mm-hmm. There is something so satisfying about needing a loaf of bread or filling 300 jars or whatever it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then they turn that therapy into a business and instead of them having a therapeutic outlet, they now have another reason to be anxious or depressed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I think the kind of people that are attracted to the maker life are the Mm -hmm. kind of people who are attracted on some level because of the therapy and then it becomes a business and the therapy piece disappears. 
And in fact, they replace it with more stress because what you said before, like when you are free, you are creative. When you are suddenly following a brief from a client that's three pages long and the pink must be this shade of pink and the flowers must be that kind of flowers, like the creativity is gone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I wish that I had some epiphany regarding the connection that the connection between the creative types and mental health disorders has been you know, debated for a long, long time. And I actually looked into it before our discussion today, just to be, be sure. But I think where the confusion sometimes can come in, especially with bipolar disorder, because there is a, a manic state, and that's when a lot of creativity can occur, and then followed by the extreme lows of depression, that there tends to be an increase in bipolar disorder in creative types. So Ah. that could be, yeah, but they can't say that for sure that, you know, what's the chicken or the egg. So I think it's more of a personality type of a thing. You know, Mm. there are personality disorders as well as mental health diagnoses. So I think nature versus nurture and all of those things kind of feed into all of it. So I don't think there's a cookie cutter answer because otherwise, if there was, it would, we would have found it by now. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, yeah. along those same lines then, mm-hmm. how do you know, yes, I'm having a depressive day, week, month versus I have depression? Mm. Well, different for everybody. And I know in my practice, you know, we do specific screening tools and we take a full history. So I can't answer that question directly, but I can tell you this. That if you've seen a pattern over your life and if you know, you're seeing increased symptoms that, you know, associated with whether it's depression or anxiety to, you know, definitely see a professional about that, whether it's your doctor, that's a really great start. So it's a pattern more than it is anything else. Yes, absolutely. And typically speaking, and I think, for example, there's a difference between something that's stressful and anxiety. You know, anxiety is always running in the back of your mind, but you throw a stressful event on top of somebody who struggles with anxiety, right? And that can create a whole nother issue. So knowing the difference between what it's like to, you know, feel the blues as opposed to a depressive episode, those are two, you know, majorly different things. So right, right. how would you describe it, Michelle? Because we have bad, I mean, bad days happen, but if you're in a depressive episode, I'm not saying you, you know, specifically, but they can feel very different. Well, okay. I don't know this from experience, but this is something I've asked a number of people around me. And the consensus from the people around me seems to be the difference between a depressive episode versus depression or a worrying episode versus anxiety is, as you touched on a second ago, the low level running in the back of your head all the time. Mm-hmm. So I know for me, I can have a depressive episode where I'm sleeping too much or I'm this, that, and the other, but that's not kind of who I am all the time. And I'm right. able to say, oh, I just feel kind of crappy about this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't run like a radio on low all the time. Right. Like- it's not background noise. And I think mm-hmm. that from what I understand, that's kind of the difference. I can be anxious about a situation or a, mm-hmm. a person or a you know whatever but Mm -hmm. i think having anxiety and again i've not experienced this but it's kind of just that constant it's like somebody left a radio on in between stations all the time Mm -hmm. in your head Mm -hmm. and so i think that if that's what you've got that this kind of never goes away it's just sort of hangs out with you all the time to me Mm -hmm. that's probably an indication of a condition versus a situation Well, and two, I say anxiety and or depression, they are part of us, but they are not us. So even though someone may struggle with anxiety, and there are levels of severity too, so I don't want to make it sound like everyone that's depressed feels the same way or everybody that's anxious feels the same way. Yeah. There's a, you know, the point is, though, if you learn to manage the symptoms, like for example, some of my clients will describe waking up in the morning with depression as like walking through cement, you know, wet cement through the day. So it just, there's no rhyme or reason for it. Sometimes I just wake up and it's like, whoa, I just feel so heavy or I don't want to get out of bed, but I don't know why. So, you know, sadness and depression are two distinct things. And it is, it's really hard when you're in a business, right? That is so, that can be so chaotic. And if you do have an underlying anxiety or a depressive disorder, it could be really, really difficult for that person. Yeah. And I don't mean with nothing I say, I don't mean to 
minimize these things at all. Oh, no. I just oh, no. find it so interesting that mm -hmm. there, and speaking personally, there are people in my life who love to use this expression, like, oh, my anxiety is really acting up. <laughs> I just kind of think, like, if you have the wherewithal to notice that, like, I find myself wondering, is that actually anxiety? Or is that just worry that you've put a mm -hmm. fancy label on? Mm-hmm. And don't we well, all worry? Like, doesn't everybody worry? <laughs> yeah. I think it's fairly common to worry, but and I will, you know, self-disclose that I have struggled with anxiety for a very, very long time. So I know what it feels like to me and mm -hmm. I'm so conscious of it. And I could be sitting and whether it's my heart's beating a little bit faster, I'm thinking, I don't know why, but maybe I'm holding some things in or maybe I'm, you know, not dealing with a lot of the stressors in my life effectively. So here it is, it's coming out physically. So again, it's really paying attention and being in tune with how you truly feel and paying attention to those things, but everybody's condition is different. There is no cookie cutter, but there is help and there are ways to learn tools to manage these things so that they don't get in the way of our businesses and our lives. Yeah. So that brings me to my last question, which I'm going to answer my own question first, <laughs> right? My business, my rules, my podcast, my rules. That's how this works, uh -huh. right? So given that it is Mental Health Awareness Month, Yes. Here's going to be the question and then I'll answer it and then give you the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, what do you wish that people knew about either their own or mental health in general? Mm -hmm. Because I think this is such an important topic to talk about. However we talk about it, it's important to talk about. So I Absolutely. have two answers to my own question, <laughs> which is probably not what I wish people understood about mental health, but kind of things that I think about it. And probably the first one is that I think that normal, it's a non-existent concept. I think normal is not normal. I think that there is no such thing as normal. There's normal for you. Right. right. Not normal for society at large. Mm -hmm. So I think I wish people understood that we measure ourselves against a bigger picture when really all we need to be doing is measuring ourselves against ourselves, which kind of goes back mm -hmm. to what we said way at the beginning of this chat, which is that you really have to listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. You really have to notice when you're not behaving in a way that is in keeping with how you normally behave, not everyone mm -hmm. else normally behaves. Right. You know, for some people to sleep a lot during the day is perfectly normal because they're kind of right. nocturnal. And for other mm -hmm. people to sleep a lot during the day is a depression sleep. And so... Right. I think that's the first thing I wish people understood a little bit more that the definition of normal, you know, the benchmark for that is yourself. Mm -hmm. True. Really? Some people can do things, can procrastinate like crazy and do things at the last minute because that's how they work best is under pressure. Mm -hmm. Right? That's their normal right. is working under pressure. Other people working under pressure would just send them batty. Well, mm -hmm. okay. But the point is that you can only measure normal against your own self. That's the first thing I wish people knew. And the second thing I wish people understood about their mental health was actually comes from a discussion I had with my daughter recently, where I said to her, you can feel competing emotions about the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that's totally okay. And in fact, in some situations, I think it's completely warranted. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what the specific thing we were talking about, but the example I used for her is her birthday. So my kids are triplets and they will be turning their birthday is this <laughs> week. Happy, oh, wow. birthday. Happy birthday, babies. And so I feel competing emotions about that. And I always do. I feel right. hugely sad that my babies are not really babies anymore. That particularly this year, they're turning 18. So they're, you know, they're heading out. They can smoke, wow. they can drink, they can vote, they mm -hmm. can drive, they can do adult stuff, you know? Like I no yeah. longer have access to their medical records and all this right. kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. so I feel really sad about that. But in the exact same moment, I feel so happy about the fact that they are growing up and becoming amazing young adults and I'm proud of them and they're sure. spreading their wings and they're doing amazing things and they, you know, they don't need me in the same ways that they used to need me. They need me differently now. And so mm -hmm. it's explaining to her like her birthday is a really great example of how you can have totally what appear to be opposite emotions about the very same thing. And I think that's so true in business as well. Mm -hmm. You can feel both hugely proud of yourself for having, you know, achieved that thing and also just feel really overwhelmed and really disappointed in yourself that maybe you didn't handle it that well or maybe oh, 
-hmm. it exhausted you more than you thought, or maybe you didn't plan well, or maybe you whatever. So that's my second thing that I wish people understood about their own mental health, that you can absolutely have competing emotions about things, the same mm -hmm. thing in the same moment. Absolutely. The birthday one is a great example because this time of year, I yeah. literally alternate that. Like I become manic during their birthday week. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm I, like, I'm running around baking 10,000 cakes. Like, Oh, I'm such yes. a <laughs> mom. Look at me. Like I'm, you know, yeah. baking everything from scratch. And then there's part of uh -huh. me that like wants to sit in the corner and cry because my babies yeah. are not my babies. So yeah. But that's being human though. Being able to feel that is what makes us human. That's what sets, sets us apart. And you know, that flexibility of emotions and feelings that's truly the richness of life to be able to experience even totally opposite emotions within nanoseconds. I mean, we have that capability, so we can't have one, we can't have the highs without the lows, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really, yeah, to be able to embrace who we are that, and I think society, we are programmed to be impulsive. We are programmed to be impatient. We are programmed to never have downtime that it's almost like, we're programmed to be robots to forget our humanity, to forget our feelings, to forget, right? And yeah. I think, as you mentioned to your reference to the people oversharing, I think that might be a direct result of people saying, hey, I am human. I need to share. I need to connect. So maybe that does fit into our little discussion about that a little bit earlier. But mental health, what's creating our, whether we thrive in life or whether we struggle in life, is how we choose to deal with our internal dialogue and the feelings that kind of go along with that. So how we feel, how we think, it all comes into play and really it's mind, body, spirit. If our mind is jumbled and erratic and chaotic, well, that's going to cause all different types of processes in our bodies to be chaotic. And so it all comes into play. Everything is connected. So if you don't take care of your mental health, your physical health is going to fail. Your emotional health is going to fail. Your relationships are going to fail. So you cannot minimize the importance of really great emotional hygiene. Yeah. Great emotional hygiene. I love that expression. That is a beautiful mm -hmm. place to end. And that mm -hmm. it is all connected for sure. It is Absolutely. all connected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think in some ways uh, our emotions get trapped in our physical body. Mm -hmm. Oh, they do. You know, when you're struggling to have a hard conversation with somebody, you often get a sore throat. You know, when you mm -hmm. are, you know, just feeling like everything's in chaos, that's when you get a backache. You know, I do think yeah. there's a mind-body connection for sure. Absolutely. Jennifer, you have been amazing to chat to. And I feel like oh, I, could, I, hope so. I could chat to you like <laughs> all day. And I'm sure that the people <laughs> listening to us today have gotten something out of this. If nothing else. I certainly hope so. Like, I totally want them to remember that whole chaos will expand thing. Absolutely. And when you're living in a space of chaos, you're just inviting more chaos. So right. it's kind of your job and to try to control that a little bit. <laughs> is we get to choose what we focus on. And I choose to focus on calm, peace, and creativity. Yeah. I feel like that's a good mantra to wake up yes. in the morning and say, I choose to focus on calm, peace, and creativity. It's not a bad one, yes. actually. I'm going to finish today's episode by sharing a quote from one of my most favorite guided meditations. I've been very okay. vocal on this podcast that I'm a big fan of <laughs> meditating, but that I'm absolutely uh -huh. rubbish at it. And so <laughs> I am just way too much of a monkey mind. So I use mm -hmm. a guided meditation app called Calm. Shout out to Calm. No, they didn't pay me to say that. And if, <laughs> I use it too. <laughs> yeah. Even if they did, I don't think I'd take their money because I just really stand behind that product. But one of my favorite meditations on Calm, if anybody's curious, is the loving kindness meditation. And it goes, the one I use goes for 10 minutes because any more than 10 minutes and I start to get super antsy. Mm -hmm. And at the, uh, in it, she says, the Tamara Levitt, the one who does the speaking on calm, I'm like mega fangirl of hers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> in that guided meditation, she says, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, and may you be at peace. Well, that's beautiful. It is a really beautiful one. And in mm -hmm. that meditation, she invites you to focus on somebody who you don't like very much or who you're struggling with very much and say it and then to say it to yourself and then to the, your community and then to your world at large. And I often think when I run across somebody or a situation that has upset me or whatever, I often repeat that kind of in my head, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe mm -hmm. and may you be at peace. And I hope that everyone mm -hmm. listening to this 
gets a little bit of all of those in any given moment. Thank you, yes. Jennifer, so much for your time today. I uh, really thank you, Michelle. It. I will, for those of you listening who want to get in touch with Jennifer, want to either eat her yummy cheesecakes or get a little bit of her <laughs> amazing love, I will put links to both the Counseling House and the Cheesecake Fairy on the website so you can read it in the show notes of today's show. Thank you for listening. If you found yourself triggered or upset or whatever by anything we've mentioned today, then I encourage you to get in touch with a friend, a medical practitioner, or a mental health practitioner, because the best way to save yourself is sometimes just by reaching out and saying, hey, I need a bit of help. So if you've had a hard time listening to what we've talked about today, I encourage you to reach out to somebody. I also will extend the invitation that if that person is me, you are more than welcome to send me an email and say, hey, Michelle, I just, you know, I need a bit of help. Can you point me in the right direction? And I'm happy to do that. My email is michelle at thebizofbaking.com. People often reply to me about these episodes and you are more than welcome to do the same. I can't be your counselor, but I might be able to at least point you in the right direction to somebody who might be helpful or maybe just give you a virtual hug and that's all you need in the moment. So please feel free to reach out. Have an amazing week. Be awesome. And uh, thanks again, Jen. No, thank you, Michelle. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.